0: And I'm Peter Malonis.
1: And this is the Grox Science Show from WHKP at UChicago. That was Diarrhea Planet from the album I'm Rich Beyond Your Wildest Dreams.
0: Mm, That was beautiful.
1: Grox is a word that means to perceive something so profoundly well that you understand it on an intuitive level. The Grok Science Show was developed in 2002 by Drs. Charles Lee and Frank Ling out of the University of Chicago. And we have inherited it from its most recent pair of hosts, Itai Aris and Unjin Lee. It's the 23rd of January, 2019, and this is our first show. Before we do science stories, I thought we could play kind of a game that I made up. I have a list of 20 questions I'm going to ask Peter. Hey, Peter. Hey, Becca. Number one question, how did we meet?
0: We were at some science thing. Uh, let's yeah. see. It was that's. Uh, oh yeah, it was in the marine biological labs.
1: It was in the marine biological labs on Cape um, Cod.
0: Yes, at like a science boot camp that was mostly pretty miserable and exhausting. But um, mm-hmm.
1: it was the first day of of PhD school. Yeah, that's how we met. So we're we're both graduate students who are do totally different kinds of work. So we're like colleagues, but we don't work together at all. Are you ready?
0: I'm ready. So this is like 20 questions.
1: Kind of, but not that game. But we
0: already got through one. We did one. Okay, Mm -hmm. thank God.
1: Peter, have you ever heard the word groks before this show?
0: Um, no. (laughs) No, me neither. Or if I did, I I tuned it out entirely. Do you remember what it means? No, (laughs) I, I don't.
1: You don't grok the meaning of groks. It means to understand something really, really well. Okay. So like, is there a thing that you would say that you do grok?
0: Hmm. I guess like uh, algebra. Oh my god, that's what I thought of too. I'm not even kidding.
1: Or Tetris.
0: Tetris. um, Because
1: I do think Tetris is really intuitive.
0: Yeah, Blockus. That's kind of like Blockus is a board game. Yeah, I
1: find it harder than Tetris, but I do really enjoy it.
0: I think I I think I grok it.
1: You grok Blockus. Uh, Except
0: I'll never. I would never actually say grok.
1: Still to this day,
0: I, you're the I, host of the day, Rock's
1: Science Show. I'm never
0: gonna say it outside the context so of the you're show. So you'll just say
1: you're the host of the Science Show, and you'll sound like a big jerk.
0: No, I mean I'll say it for the show, but once but once I'm done Elf with buys- the show, <laughs> in my in my civilian life, I no.
1: Okay. Question number four: If you could make your whole house out of food, what food would you use?
0: Hmm uh got a lot of not, considerations not marshmallows
1: not marshmallows too soft I'm,
0: yeah um sticky too sticky i've made a house out of gummy bears gummy candies i want to say no i wouldn't live in that though
1: That's kind of like marshmallows but clear
0: yeah <laughs> yeah i'm trying to think of like the stalest hardest Fruit food cake. i've ever attempted to eat maybe like fruitcake yeah, that's that's still kind of soft. I don't know about its stru- fruitcake structural integrity. Crackers. Yeah, like really, really stale graham crackers. Really stale graham crackers. Yeah.
1: What about Melba toast?
0: I don't know what that is.
1: I think it would. I think it's your answer to graham crackers. It's much harder. They're like a diet food
0: oh, that my okay. mom ate. So like twenty grains or.
1: Yeah, I, kind of I don't thing. know what that is, but it was a brown brick. <laughs> like a thin brown brick with lots of fiber. I mean, fiber. yeah, that's,
0: that's perfect yeah. for a building. Okay. Um, yeah.
1: All right, cool. What was the most recent movie that you saw in a theater?
0: Um, Not in your
1: home theater, Richie Rich.
0: It was Roma. What is yeah. that? A Mexican movie that came out recently. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Uh, yeah, I, it was overall, it was, it was, I mean, yeah, it was a beautiful, a beautiful film. A
1: beautiful film. Yeah.
0: It was just shot. It was, it was shot, um, incredibly well. Okay. And I saw it in like 70 millimeter, oh. um, and it looked amazing, uh, up at the music box.
1: Neat. Good one. Cats or dogs?
0: I'm allergic to cats, so, um, I'll have to say dogs. And dogs, I mean, I mean, yeah, dogs. I'm not, I'm not going to say too much more. <laughs> okay I, I don't want to make any enemies
1: no worries <laughs> dogs it is uh salty or sweet salty excellent answer this is a stupid question bayesian or frequentist
0: um usually just whatever works whatever method is going to allow you to graduate yeah
1: okay whether maybe whether or not you have priors Okay, this is also a stupid question. Drift or selection?
0: Well, I mean, you're, you're the one to ask, I guess. Drift. Absolutely. I kind of like drifts. <laughs> like, Why? Yeah. I don't know. Just the idea that everything's kind of random. I just prefer that.
1: Yeah, so drift is a big force of randomness in evolution, but it's not entirely random. Okay. Maybe it is. I mean, yeah, it's a force of randomness, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And there's like a kind of a classical debate, which is why this is a stupid question about which one's more important, like random processes or deterministic processes, like natural selection in nature. So that's why I asked it, because it's like a classic stupid question. But I think drift is a good answer. Okay, Really powerful force in small populations and anytime that you have like craziness in your environment where things change a lot. And that seems to be kind of the norm. So I think that's a great answer. I would have yelled at you if you chose the wrong one, so hey. you barely made it. Good job. All right. Just kidding. Would you rather have a hook for a hand or a peg leg?
0: Hmm. Uh. pirate Peg, peg leg, yeah, definitely. Peg leg? Yeah.
1: Okay, so question number two in this series. You can keep your peg leg or you can trade it for fangs. Hmm. So basically you can become a vampire or stay a pirate.
0: Uh. I one. I think I would stay pirate. Yeah, okay. pirates not the bad life. She's well, in peg
1: legs yeah. over the fangs. Yeah, fair. If you if it, okay, so like the whole world can only have one holiday and we all celebrate it together as a world. What holiday is it? But there's only one.
0: Wow. Well, I don't know. Yeah, I wouldn't. I definitely wouldn't want to impose my holidays on to other people you can so this make is up kind a of like a tr- well that's, my I mean, that's kind of a tall order um well
1: it's really just like a party right
0: yeah yeah world party day world party day no, yeah
1: that's a really good one is it is it a day off of work for everybody
0: yeah world definitely. party day yeah no one is allowed to work no one's actually. allowed to work
1: yeah do we all go to the same place and go to a party
0: um or you go probably not everyone in the world um we would probably want to spread out a little bit.
1: Okay. We we could party in our hearts.
0: Yeah. Our world. <laughs> yeah.
1: World party day. That
0: sounds beautiful. That's pretty good.
1: Um, if you could own a home anywhere in the world, where would it be?
0: I'm never gonna own a home. I feel at this point.
1: If you could live anywhere in the world, live
0: anywhere. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. Uh, I mean, Chicago is definitely up there. Honestly, that's um, just
1: the first place you thought of. Yeah.
0: Uh I like New York. Um, I like Seattle, the cities I've been to. I'm not unfortunately I'm not a world traveler. Not a
1: world traveler, okay.
0: Okay.
1: If you had to rename yourself, what name would you pick?
0: Uh maybe some maybe uh what's a good name? Rutherford always appealed to me. Rutherford is good.
1: Just one one name like Cher.
0: No, it'd just be Rutherford Malona. it doesn't. It doesn't sound distinguished if you only have one name. Okay. It, it only works. Well, yeah.
1: Rutherford Malonis does sound very distinguished. Yeah. Who was your celebrity crush when you were a little kid?
0: That's a tough one.
1: Is it because you weren't allowed to watch TV or movies? <laughs> I was <laughs> a
0: little bit. Yeah. Uh, I'll say Christina Aguilera.
1: Okay. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. Very good answer. Do you like horror movies?
0: No, no. Well, that uh, sucks, because I really do. I am the biggest horror movie man.
1: Not for you. Do you read any comic books? No. Nope. No comic books. Moving on. Would you rather have a garden or a garage? What?
0: <laughs> garden?
1: Yeah, hell yeah. Gardens are awesome.
0: Like what? What Contents? kind of people have would choose a garage?
1: People with cars. I guess. People yeah. that value
0: That <laughs> spend a lot of time. Cars.
1: <laughs> protecting their cars okay washing their cars who knows maybe a wood worker
0: oh yeah okay that's reasonable yeah workshop Uh, like a yeah a a maker
1: a maker of things yeah do you own a thing that's like one of your favorite things in the world
0: um no
1: you don't have a favorite (laughs) (laughs) so it's like a favorite object like what about a really good pin that writes really well
0: uh, I lose all my, all my pens <laughs> in like three days. <laughs> I, I can't get too sentimental about them. Okay. No, no
1: joy in Peter's life. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> Would you skydive? Oh
0: wait, my coffee table. I love Ooh. my coffee table. What's, it's, what's it's going just, on with that? it's the crown jewel of my apartment. It, I bought it from a really fancy high rise, like on, uh, like in the loop, um, like off of Craigslist and it was like 20 bucks. And, um, it's just a really massive. Is it glass? Yeah, yeah. But also <laughs> the the structure is just um, it's a really cool shape. Um, is it really heavy? Yeah, it's really heavy. Um, <laughs> that's why I'm, I haven't moved. So, okay. yeah.
1: So your coffee table. I think actually think that you told me when you got that coffee table. Yeah, I, I was that came from your heart. Mm-hmm. Um, have you or would you ever skydive?
0: I guess yeah. I would. I would do it. Yeah. Okay.
1: If you were gonna play a game like a board game type, which game would you pick, and is it blockus?
0: yeah, I played a lot of blockus over like around Christmas. It's actually kind of it's a little it's a little stressful it um, is
1: it can be you're trying to you're trying to get all that space
0: but it's um yeah, it involves a lot of like you know. Mental, mental rotation, mm-hmm. that kind
1: of. Mental like, rotation. That's my favorite thing, really. So, <laughs> so block <it. laughs>
0: Yeah. Are you sure yeah.
1: you just said it was stressful? It's
0: not that Do stressful. Do you know what
1: else is kind of stressful? Yeah. Hungry, hungry hippos.
0: Oh yeah. Well, okay. That's uh, that's not even. I wouldn't consider that a game.
1: It's, <laughs> it's like, totally a game. <laughs> it's just for young people.
0: It's uh, it's an action game.
1: Uh huh.
0: That's a little violent.
1: Yeah, I'm telling you, it's a bit stressful. I had to play with my nephew over the holidays.
0: Uh, What's the other game where you... Pop the thing? You
1: trouble?
0: I forget what it's called. It involves like little plastic flies.
1: Is something trying to eat them? Like a frog? Yeah,
0: like a frog is trying to eat them.
1: Is there a sticky tongue?
0: Yeah, I think so.
1: I know exactly what you're talking about. I have no idea what it's called.
0: Yeah, so I remember I played that game in a nursery when I was really little. And then when I was cleaning up one of the pieces... I just decided I didn't want to put it in the box because I was lazy. And I decided to just like put it inside my sock. <laughs> and um, I was like four. And uh, <laughs>
1: Why did you put it in your sock?
0: I was just, you four. know. I Just, You're just was four? was like, You're just a kid. what would happen if I just put this in here? So it was and, like the
1: sticky thing, right?
0: No, it was just like a little plastic fly. Oh. And then my mom found it like a week later. And I realized that I had actually like stolen this fly. And and I didn't really understand how like crime and punishment worked at the time, but I was convinced that the cops were out to get me. Oh no. And I would hear sirens outside.
1: Oh my god. <laughs> and,
0: like did your run, mom tell run you run? Did you be afraid? Yeah. No, no. Um, this, was this was all, was all my <laughs> imagination. Yeah. Wow. That's rough.
1: We have two more questions. What's the first song that pops into your head right now?
0: Highway Man by the highway Men.
1: Could you sing a few bars?
0: Many a soldier shed his lifeblood on my blade. Yeah, that was a little painful. <laughs> but um, as you know, as Willie Nelson, Johnny Cash—it's uh, like all of the all of the. The, the highwayman came riding. Yeah, That's a it's poem. a beautiful song. It's really deep too.
1: Yeah, so deep. And do you remember a jingle, a local from a local commercial, like a public access? Yeah. Where'd you grow up?
0: Cleveland.
1: Were there car com- like oh, car dealership uh, commercials?
0: Discount Drug Mart, ch- Saves You the Runaround.
1: Did, did, was it a, a jingle? Yeah, it was a song. Can you sing it?
0: Discount Drug Mart, Saves You the Runaround. We got everything you need.
1: <laughs> That's so good. That's better than I could have ever guessed. Thank you, Peter. I did try to to crowdsource the title of this segment and I didn't get any good suggestions yet so there is an ongoing Twitter poll you can weigh in it's a very important very important question and now Peter's going to read a PSA
0: Have you heard have you guys heard about that guy upstate who lost his beer belly playing with his kids not surprising considering regular physical activity and a healthy diet can decrease your weight and improve your health learn more at smallstep.gov A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council.
1: That was masterfully done. We now have a segment called What's Up with Wasps? This segment has a great title, as you just heard, because that title won a Twitter poll. 40 people voted and 45% of them voted for What's Up with Wasps? The other contenders were Wasps Up, The Sting, and Stings of Desire which was a personal favorite of mine, but actually, What's Up With the Wasp is my real favorite. So, um, Peter, I, I'm going to tell you a story about a wasp because, why? Do you remember why?
0: Why? No.
1: Because we were talking about the show like a week ago, and I misunderstood what you said, and I thought that you suggested that we had a weekly segment about wasps.
0: Oh, like uh, white, Anglo-Saxon Protestants.
1: <laughs> i mean i think you can definitely interpret it however you want okay but... no that
0: makes sense because like everyone's talking so much about catholics this week and we can finally why are people the...
1: talking about catholics
0: well you know like the
1: i probably don't i'm very uninformed
0: okay just go on the internet for like typing
1: catholics
0: yeah basically there was a high school you know the high school kids in oh, dc the yeah. Gross. yeah i don't want to talk about that yeah
1: so, and yeah, I just thought that you suggested that we have a weekly wasp segment, and I did think it was really weird, but I wanted to be supportive because I'm a very good friend, so I just mm. went with it, and then it became clear that you you had, like, one story about a wasp, uh, but so now we're just going to do the segment every week, so I think that's a good plan. Hey, Peter, what's up with wasps? This week, I'm going to tell you about how the aphid microbiome confers resistance to parasitic wasps. Do you know about parasitic wasps?
0: Yeah, I know a bit. What do they do? Well, they for instance um often lay their eggs in in a host in animal. a host. Yeah, um yeah. So like a caterpillar or a cockroach or a spider. It's
1: called ovipositing. Oviposit. O V I P O S I T. I have it somewhere here. Cuz it's such a gross concept. Yeah. To embed your eggs into the body of the thing that your parent just that just sounds so gross. <laughs> so nasty.
0: Yeah, so totally I have agree.
1: a little background of this particular story having to do with aphids and wasps. It's a really interesting system. Nancy Moran, Dr. Nancy Moran, largely discovered this relationship. P. Aphids are tiny little green bugs that eat and live inside of plants. And these little green bugs have an obligate gut bacteria. Obligate means the bacteria has to live within the host, so it has to be there. It can't live outside of the host. So aphids have an obligate gut bacteria that makes an amino acid, which is a type of protein. That's fair to say. Um, so aphids need the amino acid, but they can't make it themselves, and they use the bacteria. They outsource that. Production to the, the amino acid production to the bacteria. Over millions of years, this relationship has evolved, and the bacteria have lost the genes to be able to live outside of the aphid. So, this is what makes them an obligate parasite. So, there was a big genome truncation, and they lost a ton of genes that allowed them to be like a free living normal bacteria. That relationship is called a symbiosis because it's mutually beneficial for both the aphid host and the gut symbiont, the little bacteria that lives inside of the aphid. So that's the background. You want to know wasps up?
0: I do want to know wasps up. So
1: here's wasps up in nature. These little aphid guys get attacked by gross wasps that oviposite their eggs into aphid bodies. As we discussed, it's disgusting. The eggs that hatch and the larvae eat the aphid mummy. So they actually like mummy, they make mummies out of their dead, their dead aphid prey. So I said that. <laughs> so, um, this, Story or this paper that I'm telling you about, they did parasitism trials and counted the number of aphid mummies versus cases of no parasitism in aphids with and without the gut bacteria. And what they found is that aphids that were pre infected with the gut bacteria were less susceptible to wasp parasitism. Mm -hmm. So they were eaten less often by the babies of the wasps if they were protected by the bacteria. And do you have any idea why or how the bacteria could have protected? The aphids from the wasps
0: yeah, it's a good question, so I've heard so in the in another wasp um which I'll tell you about in a bit the the larvae actually, they spray some kind of anti bacteria substance on um, in the inside of their host the wasps, yeah, wow, um,
1: to so try to attack the bacteria,
0: yeah, so that they can i mean because they're, they're gonna be in their host until they basically
1: they want to adult. take over yeah that's how they're defining parasitism is that the wasps are able to colonize with the larvae yeah. so if they are able to grow and live then they say they were parasitized uh-huh. so you heard of one where the where the wasp is actually defending itself against this bacteria by the, yeah by antibacteria. so presumably
0: so they the bacteria know is not it. good for yeah for larvae
1: yeah and and what happens actually is that the bacteria that are inside of the aphids causes the lar- larvae to die at a really high rate so it's, uh, okay. it's I don't know what the good word for that is, but like larvicide. So the bacteria kill the wasp larvae. And the citation for this discovery is from, this is from 2002, uh, Oliver et al. And it is, Nancy Moran was one of the authors. It's a PNAS paper from 2002. So that's wasps up with me.
0: All right. Well, yeah, let me tell you wasps up with me. So uh, one of my favorite wasps is the jewel wasp.
1: Does it look like a jewel?
0: Yeah, it's kind of like Emerald. I think an an alternative name is like an Emerald Cockroach Wasp. Um,
1: (laughs) That's a little bit less sexy.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's like a green, shiny guy. And so basically the cool thing is, is that they engage in mind control over their uh, parasite. And their prey or host basically is our cockroaches. And what the female wasp does initially, finds a cockroach. And does like a quick sting into the abdomen of the of the cockroach just
1: punches right through
0: yeah, the just punches cells. right through um wow. with one of its stingers and paralyzes the cockroach, and so the cockroach just like can't move at all, and so that first sting that only lasts for a couple of minutes
1: do we know how it makes the cockroach be still? Is it like a venom or something or
0: yeah basically okay. um i don't okay. I didn't look up the like the mechanism of action for that. No not first sting at all but presumably blocks some like neuro- neurotransmitter yeah. and so the cockroach can't move at all but that lasts a couple of minutes and that gives the wasp time to prepare the second sting <clears throat> which is what basically takes over the cockroach's mind or brain um and so oh my god yeah the wasp uses its second stinger with completely different venom and goes into puts it into the into the cockroach brain feels around for for often like a minute or two to to find the exact ganglion like part of the the, of the cockroach brain she's gonna inject that venom into and actually finds two different ones so finds one and finds the other and then it's a, like a really complicated venom, has a mix of like over 200 proteins. Like the an initial thing is that it, it has like GABA agonists, so inhibitory inhibitory effect on these particular parts of the brain, but it also has enzymes and stuff. So how it's acting is potentially changing over time. Basically what initially happens behaviorally is that the the cockroach recovers from the first venom and so it can move but it has no desire to move anymore. Oh my god. Uh, yeah. So the first <laughs> so it has all like an the,
1: emotional death, second to yeah, a Yeah. It's basically death. it's
0: a zombie at this point. Right. So okay. the initial 30 minutes, um the cockroach the cockroach is just grooming itself. Just
1: standing there at like idly.
0: Yeah, like grooming. There's a particular grooming pattern. I don't know what. Uh,
1: That's so interesting. So they all do the same thing when yeah. this happens. And the first punch is it into the brain or it's into the?
0: The first one is into the like the abdomen. Oh, okay. The,
1: so then the second one is. Sorry, does the wasp totally pull out and then go back for a second dive into the brain? Is that uh, where the second sting?
0: Is? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, okay. yeah.
1: Wow. So it's moving. the first
0: wasp. The first sting gives the wasp time for the second sting it's that really is taking over its mind. Yeah,
1: because it has to know to put the first one in the abdomen and not the brain, because that's Mm -hmm. the part that you want to be affected. I didn't, I guess I had heard the story before, but I never really thought about how incredible it is really brilliant. Like it's, it's like you have a twofold process.
0: Yeah. And it's not just the brain. It's like a particular, a particular part of the brain that it can feel. So there must be some
1: sensory cue that's happening on the end, the wasp end, and then in that's in the brain. So there's Mm. something that's allowing it to, to target specific regions or, I don't know, molecules or cells mm-hmm. or whatever. That is so crazy. I didn't know it worked that way. And then yeah. what's the goal? <laughs> what's the end game here <laughs> okay. for the wasp?
0: So while the uh, the cockroach is basically just sitting there um, grooming for about like a half hour, the wasp goes and digs a hole somewhere, like a good like nesting hole. Um, and then uh, comes back. Um, uh, at that point, the grooming, I think, is mostly over. Um, but the the cockroach is is still like a zombie. So the cockroach um w- would remain a zombie for like a week. They've tested it. They've like taken the wasp away, and otherwise it would just remain in this zombie fight state for like a Could week. You take the wasp away. Yeah. So the, the cockroach can still walk, and if you flip it over, it will uh, flip back. Otherwise, it, it, it just won't do anything. In, yeah. Like brain yeah. activity or something. And so then, wow. so what the the wasp does, she bites off an antenna, the antenna of the cockroach and eats it or eats part of it anyway, just to get some
1: nutrition and
0: some nutrition and then takes the rest of it and just grabs the antenna and leads the cockroach like on a leash to the hole that the wasp just dug. And the cockroach is perfectly fine with this. He's just like a zombie. He goes then, in the hole. Yeah. And
1: then he becomes wasp food.
0: Exactly, yeah, Whoa! yeah. <laughs> oh <my laughs> so gosh. The, the jewel wasp lays her eggs on the leg of the of the cockroach, she buries the cockroach alive. Uh, the cockroach <laughs> is perfectly okay with this the this
1: is an epic story. The Cruelty.
0: larvae start eating that cockroach, and the cockroach is okay, and the larvae continue to eat through, and they actually eat the organs in order such that to maintain uh, the cockroach being long, uh, like as fresh
1: as long as possible. yeah, fresh.
0: So like the cockroach is alive as long as possible. They eat it in that order. Basically. I can uh,
1: like all that I'm thinking right now is the millions and millions of years this would have taken to evolve Yeah, and all of the different moving parts mm-hmm. and the different developmental stages of the wasp that are involved. And I'm wondering about ant social evolution, which is so specialized Mm-hmm. And because they're already kind of controlled by their colonies, if they're easier to parasitize it's just so freaking crazy man that's a really good wasp story,
0: yeah, I'm trying to remember if there's more I guess that's pretty much it so yeah, and then they also do like the the anti antibacterial on the on the, oh, the, into the on the husk of the cockroach, so to that, make sure that the yeah, food is they use it as like a cocoon um so they don't want it to like rot basically. That's amazing. After it's dead.
1: <laughs> They're um, really good at storing at storing prey. Um, that's crazy. Wasp's Up is over, and we're going to move on to basic science stories. Okay. So we have less than half an hour. Okay. Then we're oh. going to talk about this week's playlist, and we're going to talk about action items, and we're going to read one more PSA. So that's what's going to happen and nothing else. All right. Should we one? take a musical break? Sure. Let's take a musical break. Hey, Peter.
0: Hey. <laughs> Becca.
1: Um, this is the Grok Science Show, and I'm going to tell you some science stories. Uh, I'm going to start with one in particular that I thought was really cool, and this was a recent discovery from last year. And my little elevator pitch or description of the story is that plants outsource nitrogen fixation to microbes in exchange for we making aerial roots. And that's aerial, A-E-R-I-A-L, which means roots that grow above ground, which is kind of crazy. So the problem or the initial observation is that plants can't use the environmental form of nitrogen. And this is also true for phosphorus as well. It's kind of a nasty business producing enough nitrogen to put into fertilizer to deal with all of our agricultural farms in the U.S. and across the world, actually, it's not good for the environment and it costs a lot. So it drives up the cost of food. And this is like a national problem. We need to be able to have nitrogen in the fertilizer to actually make, to produce yields big enough that to make the crops financially viable. For example, corn. And it's known, in general, that many microbes pair up with plants to exchange nutrients for a nice place to live. But engineering these relationships from nothing, de novo, is like finding a needle in a haystack when we don't even know if the needle exists. So we need nitrogen, we don't have a great way to get it, and the plants can't get it themselves. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. It's a huge problem. Yeah. What are we going to do? I don't know. Okay, well, these people were smart and they figured out what to do. And I have to say this is kind of a genius moment, in my opinion. Rather than looking at the situation that we're dealing with now, which is these modern plants that can't make their own nitrogen, they thought, let's look back, back to the future. No, back in time and look at an ancient relative of modern crops. So the study they looked at. An ancient relative of modern maize it's like an old-timey corn that naturally thrives in low nitrogen soils that naturally occur in oaxaca mexico and this type of maize so it's living it's doing well it's rocking and rolling it's producing tons of corn and somehow it's got the nitrogen that it needs even though there's not a lot of nitrogen in the soil and it turns out that this type of maize has grown these special aerial roots above ground and they're bright red in color and you can't miss them because they are unlike the rest of the plant They had never seen aerial roots like that before. And in particular, they were covered. These roots are covered with this nasty, gleaming, thick slime. And the slime is actually a microbial community. It's a specific situation. There's a specific symbiosis going on there where you have an interacting group of microbes that live on these aerial roots, which are a specialized habitat for them. And what are they doing?
0: What are they doing?
1: What are they doing? Well, as it turns out, they're sucking up environmental nitrogen, Mm. cleaving it, and turning it into the type of nitrogen that plants can actually use so that the maize is actually using. So rather and maize waiting millions and millions of years to eventually really slowly evolve the ability to cleave nitrogen Mm. and make it into what they need they outsource this part of their Mm. trait that they need they outsource this trait to their microbiome which is i just think that is so clever or uncanny or neat to hear about they're like let me grow these extra roots i will give you this nice lovely bright red place to live you can slime up all over it it's no problem i love this nitrogen thank you and I love the idea of going to biology when you can't come up with a like problem solver on your own through engineering. A lot of times the biology itself because it's gone through all of these evolutionary like trials and tribulations and things have actually made it through and become fixed in the regular world so that we can see them. They tend to be much more clever than anything we can engineer de novo because Basically, every possible combination of things has been tested, and what we 're left with is one that works really well so hopefully they're doing the moving on to the test now, but hopefully we 'll be able to use these microbes, this slime as a probiotic to make healthy corn and other plants that need nitrogen and have a similar problem so that's a really cool story I think
0: yeah that's amazing so did the author say uh, say anything about like what the prospects are for say having this this slime be able to thrive in a in a different climate, a different environment?
1: I think this was an, an initial discovery paper. So they were mm-hmm. able to identify the microbes that make up that community, and they did some sequencing. They actually pinpointed the organisms. The next step will be trying to grow them, I think, probably in the lab without the plant, or even with the plant but still in the lab, so that we can try to streamline or optimize that community for the types of reasons that we need it, so Mm. engineer it to be more useful for humans, but uh, I think they're very hopeful because it's naturally occurring microbes we were able to... I think you can grow them independently, but I think it will remain to be seen if this kind of revolutionizes (laughs) the ag scene, but it's like this just amazing relationship between plants and microbes that have been going on for so long Mm. that really... The plants are, like, kind of exploiting the the thing the microbe can naturally yeah. do and yeah. attracting it to using just these natural forces. It's really crazy. Yeah,
0: that's so amazing. It
1: would be really cool if we could use it to make more food, and hopefully we will. And the citation for that is Van Dyzen, that's V-A-N space D-E-Y-N-Z-E, et al., 2018 plus biology, is the journal. And there uh, was a... Summary written called Slimy Symbiosis. That's a really good uh, summary. Slimy Symbiosis in Nature Plants, September of 2018. And that was by Gillum Tena, T-E-N-A. You want to read more? Now it's Peter's turn to tell (laughs) me a science story.
0: Yeah, well, thanks for that. That, I mean, that that sounds incredible and super promising. So there are a couple of things I wanted to talk about. I want to plug the project I've been involved in. Tell uh, me about it. So it's called Science for the People, which was originally a group started in the late 60s. University of Chicago had a, a really active chapter um, when uh, Richard Lewinton, who was a really famous like and radical scientist, was here. So the idea about this group is basically... A group of scientists who were active in radical politics or opposing the Vietnam War and all the movements that were going on back then and thinking about how they could put their their skills into use and critiquing some of the problems with the scientific establishment at the time. And so they did stuff like operating, working to operate free health clinics with the Black Panthers. People from Chicago organized a delegation to go to Vietnam and work on humanitarian projects during the during the war there that the U.S. was fighting against Vietnam and, and basically put science in service of, uh, as they call it, the people. And so that uh, project lasted from about the late 60s to 1989 and then kind of fell apart around that time. Uh, during that time, they published a, a magazine. And so this group with a lot of the original members is kind of reforming right now. And there's a lot of uh, involvement from people around the country. There's chapters in a bunch of major cities. And uh, one of the things that they're working on is putting together, um, is reviving this uh, magazine that kind of looks at the intersection of science and and politics. And so they did a special issue over the summer. It started over the summer um, and basically was finished a couple months ago on geoengineering. So geoengineering is the idea of intentionally manipulating the, the Earth's climate with the hope, eventually, of reversing climate change or controlling it. This special issue, it's super interesting. It kind of hosts a debate on whether that's really a good idea, what are the downsides, what is necessary. And so I definitely check this out. This is something you can read at magazine.scienceforthepeople.org. And then you click on a geoengineering special issue. It's right there. And so a couple of the articles I thought were really useful. For one, there's a debate on this concept of solar radiation management, so basically altering the Earth's atmosphere to actually block more sunlight using say, uh, sulfur compounds. And uh, that's gotten a lot of investment and interest as our deadline for addressing climate change through reducing... Use of carbon approaches, but there are some problems with that. in that, of course, with any manipulating the, the climate on a global scale, there's a ton of potential unintended consequences. Uh, the the way in which that affects different countries uh, obviously varies from country to country. And so, like, who is actually, uh, as one of the article title says, who will control the Earth's thermostat is w- would be a really contentious issue and potentially something that could be militarized. So if a certain climate is most beneficial for one of the great powers, military powers of the world, they could use their military and uh, say their air force to do solar radiation management in a way that is most beneficial to them, which could lead to all sorts of conflicts. And one of the articles by Linda Schneider details how this technology, the military is investing in, in this technology. One of the more hopeful articles is by an agroecologist named John Vandermeer, and he's a professor at University of Michigan. He's spent a lot of his career studying agro, sort of more traditional agroecology systems, which he opposes to industrial agriculture. And he does this really interesting back-of-the-envelope calculation in these agroecology farming methods. There are... A lot more trees in, involved in those in those methods. For instance, supplying nitrogen through their root system, uh, kind of as we were just talking about, that's really important. Especially if you don't want to don't want to use or don't have access to fertilizers. Um, so trees are a much bigger part of that, along with creating shade for livestock, production of commodities, fruits, mangoes, oranges. I mean, trees
1: are great for tons of reasons: yeah. shade, mm-hmm. greenness
0: they're they're amazing yeah they're
1: absolutely amazing we'll I, do
0: a tree episode
1: we should do a tree episode yeah. I'm so down for that i'm going to read a quick psa uh from teen helpline incorporated teens are you hurting do you need someone to talk to and no one is there to listen The Neo Teen Helpline listens. Call 1-800-272-TEEN. That's T-E-E-N. Call to discuss any problem. All calls are free and confidential and can be anonymous. Remember, our number is 1-800-272-TEEN. Phones are open weekdays from 1 to 8 p.m. Someone is out there. Who cares? And for our final segment, we made a Spotify playlist. And we're going to tell you about it. And we're going to encourage you to go listen to that. Did you happen to add any songs? I did not. So this is a 10-song playlist that I made. It's mostly fun jams. If you want to find the Grox playlist, the title is Grox, T-R-O-K-S, underscore 19, underscore one, underscore 23, which is the date. Find the playlist on Spotify by searching for Grox and playlist titles. And my Spotify username is Becca Satterwhite, all one word, if you need to find it that way. This week's playlist opens with a classic jam from Houston, Texas, which is my hometown, So it's only fitting that I started with Tighten Up by Archie Bell and the Drells. Then we hear from my favorite Chicago artist, Angel Olsen. And the third song is a special Easter egg, which I think is a great reference to my friendship with Peter. It's called Opposites Attract by Paula Abdul and N.C. Scat Cat, a classic.
0: The American Idol judge? Yeah. Wow.
1: She had a whole career before American Idol. I have no idea. I'm a non-traditional student and I'm old, and that's what you're hearing right now. Yeah, Opposites Attract, man. So that's the third song. The rest of it is just fun jams, old and new, to get you through your week. And then there's also a Twitter poll. So I lived in Houston in the early 2000s. Like I said, that's my hometown. And I hosted a radio show there at the KTRU, which is the Rice Radio Station. There is one song on my Spotify playlist for this week, my Grox playlist, that I played during every single shift I ever hosted at KTRU, and so the Twitter poll is can you guess which song it is? You have a pretty good chance of nailing it just for guessing. And I will post the poll on Twitter today. You should follow me on Twitter at rs satterwhite. So it's r s s a t t e r w h i t e. I know my name is long and annoying. Peter, do you have Twitter? No. Are you anti-social? Potentially. Uh. Excellent. So finally, we have a couple action items and I will let Peter read this.
0: So you should download the podcast version of this show from internetarchive.org.
1: That won't be available for a few days, but we are going to figure it out. Uh, We are taping the show. We want to release it as a podcast, and traditionally, Grox has been released on the Internet Archive. But we'll have to see, moving forward, what actually works for us. Second action item.
0: Check out this week's playlist on Spotify at Becca Satterwhite.
1: And the playlist is titled... Uh, I, Grox, have to, I have to say it. Underscore Grox, 19. <laughs>
0: underscore 19, underscore 1, underscore 23.
1: So sorry, it brings you pain to say the name of the show. Yeah.
0: And follow Becca to vote in this week's Twitter poll. Do you want me to say your Twitter handle again? You okay?
1: Three Becca really
0: wants Twitter followers, uh-huh. so that's the purpose here. <laughs> RSS Satterwhite. Um,
1: R.S. Satterwhite, because my middle name is Sue, so it's like Rebecca Sue uh, okay. Satterwhite, so it's R.S. Satterwhite.
0: Uh, okay. And you want to hear a science story on the air, send it to satterwhite at uchicago.edu or pmalonis at uchicago.edu. Put rocks in the subject.
1: And that's Peter's email is p-m-a-l-o-n-i-s at uchicago.edu. Just a special plug for you to email Peter lots yep, of things. do
0: it. Listen to our next show at the same time on February 6th. That's it.